Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time here, how's it going? And if you're a returning listener, hey, how's it going? Hope you're having a great day. You look amazing. See what happens every time you subscribe to the Ethics Experts. You get a bonus greeting on every single episode. So hit that subscribe button and tune into all the new episodes we're going to be coming out with uh, next year. I am here today with uh, Andra Papa. How are you, Andra? I'm great. Thanks. Uh, very excited to get you on here to kind of pick your brain. Uh, you're somebody that I've met on, I don't know, I think I met, we met through, through Roy like earlier in the year. We did a really fun webinar together. And uh, you're somebody who brings a really interesting perspective to compliance. And I'd love to kind of, I'm excited to kind of dive into that and kind of, you know, see how you see the world. Um, but before we get into the meat of the conversation, let's start with a little appetizer of, you know, how did you kind of get into this game? What do you kind of do now? You know, what do you do in the compliance space and how did you make your way into this game? I think you have a pretty interesting story. Sure. I, I started when I was really young, when I was a teenager um, in compliance. I worked uh, for my father. He was a physician and I worked in his billing uh, office and I would do uh, things for the office, including um, looking at coding books, looking at the physician uh, charts. And um, I really became interested in Medicare law and, uh, and also clinical research trials. And I loved the, I loved the idea of innovating uh, medicine and moving it forward and uh, spent a lot of time in hospitals. So it just seemed, it's just where my interests were really. So I just pursued it further and further. And I work in that area now, exactly that, just Medicare billing and also research compliance. So, so what, it, what exactly yeah. is it about moving medicine forward that is so kind of animating for you from the, you know, from your area of focus, which is sort of research compliance and healthcare compliance? Yeah, I, um, I volunteer as much as I can in the hospitals. So I actually, um, and I work one-on-one -on -one with patients, especially pediatric patients to try to ease their fears and, and um, possibly explain, especially surgical procedures before they go in. Mm -hmm. And um, I, can I can see, and I've seen as long as I've volunteered, you know, medicines that I've worked on um, become available to patients and help uh, improve the quality of their care or prolong their life or cure them. So it's just, I, I see sort of the entire um, life cycle of the products that we're working on. Um, so it's just, it's just a wonderful uh, experience. You see it come to life. Yeah. And, and it can affect lives and it can save lives in some cases, which is you know, very yeah. re re rewarding, I imagine. Yeah. And you can see the, the family's reaction and when they're told that something does exist that can help. Um, it's a tremendous relief for people. And um, I'm really proud to just be a very small part of that, just the compliance side. Um, and I help with the ethics part, um, make sure the trials are ethical, um, that um, there's no injury to, uh, you know, the, the dignity of the patients and they follow ethical rules as well as the Medicare part. So um, without the billing part, the trials wouldn't really get off the ground. So that's important too. So, so when you come into an engagement, what are you being brought in to do? You know, explain it to me like I'm uh, a, like, you know, five or an idiot. 
probably won't no, be too no. hard for you. But like <laughs> when they're coming in, they're coming, they're bringing you in to do sort of some, some spectrum of like help or work or something like what are those, what is that, that bouquet of uh, focus areas for yourself? Yeah, it just depends. Sometimes there's a, often there's a crisis and um, there's a crisis. So it could be maybe they have, have a report of unethical treatment of patients in the trials. And I have mm -hmm. to go in and audit that with a team and we'll look at all the records. Um, we'll, we'll do interviews and try to figure out what's happening. Um, you know, present, present what's happening and then try to correct it and uh, provide education and, uh, or there could be a crisis in the, in the billing part. Maybe they realize, oh, we've, we haven't even um, ever looked at our, at the way we build clinical trials ever. Um, we just sort of uh, just, uh, you know, want. yeah, yeah. And we don't, maybe they don't even negotiate the contracts. They don't really know how much they're spending on them. Um, which could cause an issue with their, um, if they're funding the clinical trials, if they're funding um, pharmaceutical companies to run these trials, that could cause an issue with their tax exempt status. Uh. So all these things, often it's, it's a crisis that brings me in, or um, maybe they haven't looked at their, maybe they don't have a compliance program in their, um, in their clinical trials office and they need someone to kind of figure it out and create one and uh, run audits and uh, provide education. And so you're usually kind of stepping into some chaos that you're trying to provide some, you know, impose some order on and provide some kind of go forward best practices so that they can keep that train on the tracks. As you think about, you know, ethics and compliance, how do you like, what's your frame for the difference between them? Or how do you feel like those interplay with each other and, and complement each other? That's a great question. Um, I really think that compliance arose from ethics and from, if you go all the way back to Aristotle even, I really feel like it goes all the way back to him, um, his ideas about ethics. And then, um, and I just view myself as a teacher of these, these regulations that I, and laws that I spent a long time studying, but that's sort of just the first step. It's uh, then, explaining it in a way that people understand and can follow and that they're um and kind of learning from them also there where they are to sort of meet them where they are and to kind of uh listen to them to their stories and figure out um what problems they're having in complying and what do you mean by that meet them where they are yeah um really it's just what it is just seeing exactly what they're um, it's hard to do in an extremely large organization, but as much as possible to um, to figure out uh, what, are, what are the barriers to them uh, complying, basically. So um, maybe they have a they have the wrong idea of compliance, or maybe they they don't think that they can do it. Maybe they don't think they can understand um, laws and regulations, or maybe the materials are organized in a way that they have trouble using, they can't find anything, um, you know. So it's a, just trying to figure out exactly where the pressure points are. Got it. And then coming up with solutions, some of them might be the wrong solutions for them. So just keep um, trying to figure out a way to improve. And so you have a really unique background. You have, and you've kind of ascended to this uh, status of like, 
you know, thought leader in the compliance space. And I think you've been able to rock it up there, you know, probably for a number of reasons. But the thing that really, I think, put you on the map was this incorporation of this, this whole design thing, right? That's what the webinar we did was about. And I just find what? it extremely fascinating, not only because it's, um, well, it's like kind of common sense at some level. It's, you can start implementing these practices immediately. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also just highly effective in terms of like the bang for your buck or the bang for, for your effort. So maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, your design background and talk about like how you've seen, how you've seen at large kind of compliance get the design component or, right. you know, variable in the equation wrong and what those implications are, you know? Yeah, I pretty much, since I can remember, I've always been making things, you probably have the same experience. I've always been drawing, uh, painting really my whole life and um, had the good fortune of that being developed since I was a little kid, always taking classes and having the materials available. So I was really lucky. And I never thought that it would be combined with anything I would do as a profession at all. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't come from a family of people that are in the arts, so I didn't see that connection. Um, and it was only once I had this tremendous opportunity really early on in my career, it was, um, I was, I was, it was way too early to receive the opportunity. It was in around uh, 2008, I was asked to create a compliance program for um, the, re the research department at a university. I think just because I was there, <laughs> I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, it was through that experience and a series of events that I came to realize the importance of design in the compliance arena. Um, there were three events that happened all close together that, um, that helped me slowly put together the ideas. And then I began researching it to test the ideas to see if they really work. Um, and, yeah. what, and what were some of those things? Yeah, you know, those three catalysts, yeah. what were those things and what were some of those ideas you were testing? Yeah, it's probably very similar to how other people um, sort of stumble through and have innovations. It wasn't any, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't linear. Um, I, I do have, I sort of have the two parts of my brain as we all do where I, it can be very logical, but also, um, you know, think of fantastical ideas as well. So, um, but I was thinking in a very linear way. And then these um, events were, the first was I was asked to, um, to, to basically rewrite all of their policies and procedures and to identify the gaps. And I didn't know how to do this. So the first thing I did, I went back to my office and I called um, one of my professors from law school. And I said, how do you write a policy and procedure? And he said, you know, keep it, try to keep it about two pages per topic, divide it up into topics and also separate the policy from the procedure. And with that, mm. I realized that um, it, I think separating policy from procedure is really important because you're, the policy is very abstract. You know, you're just saying, this is the reasoning why we're doing this. And then the procedure is extremely practical. So to be able to understand both pieces, it's important to separate them. And that's part of design. And then um, 
The next piece was keep them to two pages per topic. And I looked at what they currently had and it was about 300 pages. Oh my gosh. So I thought, well, this is a completely different way of designing something, of thinking about something. And yeah. why is it two pages to make it, um, to make it brief so people don't have a lot of time to spend to find things, to make right. it um, accessible so you can find it. So it fulfills all of those needs just with the requirement of two pages. And yeah, that was the first event that made me down, you know, realize that path. So Anna, just like a, a dumbed down definition, what do, you know, we're talking about design. What are we talking about? What do you mean by design? Yeah, it could be, so it doesn't have to be a tangible thing. It could be anything, um, including a process or an operational method or even um, an abstract thing like uh, an experience. So the way I view my job, almost everything I do, I view as an experience. Um, I think about uh, the way something is made um, to that further communicates the message that I'm trying to send. But I think of my job, the number one priority is the experience that I'm providing for everyone that I that will be contacting my work. So that's a very different sort of scope of your work than probably the average compliance professional or even the average compliance consultant. Do you agree? I don't know. Um, I don't know, especially in, in isolation. I'm not, I don't contact too many people, so I'm not sure, but I, right, um, take my word for it, please. Okay. Take, okay. take my word for it. Um, okay. what, so, you know, you've had this kind of interesting upbringing, this interesting sort of interest that seems, I get, I think on its surface kind of diametrically opposed to kind of the straight lines of logic that go into compliance and right. law and all that stuff, right? right? And then right. the other side right. of the fence and the sort of artistic side, it's this, it's less linear, it's more sort of free form and stuff like that. These are two different like worlds, so to speak, that most people don't think have anything to do with each other. But in your brain, because it's all happening within your body and within your brain, well, those experiences on the artistic side are naturally going to sort of bleed over into this side of the fence. And I think you found them to be extremely complementary. These two things that seem sort of paradoxically, almost like diametrically opposed when combined, bring a lot of magic to a situation and allow you to view the value that you're providing to an organization really through a new lens. And I think, I guess here, here's my question. Where do you see the benefit of that unique perspective? Do you understand what I, like, where does yeah. it play out? Where's the, where's the explosion of value yes. as a result of this thing, you know? Yeah, there are a couple of different areas. Um, the reason why I think of it or providing an experience is, um, I think if you think of, um, if, if an institution is going to be audited by a government uh, entity, you, you do want to create a really great experience for the auditor. You don't want them to be frustrated. It does affect, it does affect the, um, the quality of their experience if everything is hard to find, not organized, um, it's very unpleasant. So that's the first way it really, and it provides um, better negotiating as well. If they do find something wrong, if things are organized, it gives an impression at least that um, there's been an attempt to try to, to be compliant. And how so, important is that piece that you just said? I think it's 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 exceptionally important to 
show at least an attempt to be compliant, especially with things um, that have been found in the past. So it's a good idea okay. to keep um, a binder of really as much as you can of the history of the institution and their interaction with the government. And those are the, your priority items in your risk um, analysis to complete because if they come back and find the same things wrong, it's, it's actually, it's a very natural response would be to assume that really everything is then very chaotic if you can't just even get what you, what's been identified by the government is wrong, so. So that seems super obvious, but it's super why, obvious. why, why yeah. do you think, like, why do you even need to say that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you're saying it because this is not being done in some cases. Why is that not being done in some cases when it seems as obvious as it does? Well, um, I mean, I, uh, I think it's very, um, I mean, I've, I have all this training in this area and experience, and I, I feel um, that my education was really excellent. So a lot of, I work in the, really only in healthcare institutions. So in healthcare institutions, you might have people that are pulled in from uh, academic disciplines or healthcare disciplines. So they, they might just have a patient uh, orientation. So, um, it, you know, it's, uh, again, it's just sort of a teaching role that I feel like I'm in and I try to provide a great experience for everyone, um, including with the education, you know, so back to your point, though, there are there are financial reasons also why it does help to think about the design and to maybe create a prototype before you really invest funds in um, finding a solution. Um, you know, with with zero dollars or just ten dollars, you can create a really quick prototype run it past people, see what they say, um, see if it fixes the problem. It might not, you know, um, so that, that's, that's the reason why this is also important. So it helps with um, your reputation in the community because you're uh, with government audits, they can really harm the reputation of an institution. Um, financially, it can be huge drain on resources and personnel if you're if you're found um, improperly conducting your business. And then uh, just trying to find solutions and uh, testing solutions. It can save millions of dollars if you just test them really quickly upfront to see if they even work. And by testing, I mean literally uh, going from A to C, like really taking your time and walking through an exam examples of people doing, of using this solution. Um, yeah, it's a, um... <clears throat> It's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of challenge, right? Because if you're just to use kind of a shorthand here, um, if we call right brain kind of the creative artist side of the brain, and we call left brain sort of the logical sort of cold, you know, part of the brain. Yeah. And if sort of most compliance people, again, this is a broad brushstroke, but are kind of coming from that legal side, coming from that straight logic side, and so forth, um, what comes along with that often is sort of this linear thinking that you know, is kind of the antithesis of the sort of type of freeform thinking that comes on sort of the artistic side. And what I'm getting at is that when you can incorporate some of that nonlinear thinking, it becomes a little bit easier uh, to view the entire sort of task as a project instead of a, a sequential set of steps, which yes. then allows you to like consider, okay, well, how does this, what's the end product gonna look like? Mm -hmm. Like, what is my goal for this thing? It's not just to, to put, a, put a regulation on paper and let somebody interpret it to your point. Our job is to at some level, 
be that translator between the regulation to the person where they're at, what their understanding is, give them the tools they need so that they can affect their behaviors in the context of their world, right? Because if you just dump, to your point, 300 pages of freaking uh, policies at folks, no one's going to know what to do with them. They probably won't get read or whatever. But I just find it kind of interesting that, you know, kind of incorporating that artistic sort of like iterative, iterative kind of approach, right? Like artistically, you try a bunch of things um, and you have this sort of end product vision. It's not just checking something off of your list, but it's a product. It's an experience. It's, yes, it's yes. something that's going to affect somebody's life at some level. Incorporating that early on, I think, leads or leads to a lot of, uh, you know, kind of increased effectiveness and really a, a, like a lot of, uh, but how do people balance that against the efficiency? Because I think what a lot of people think is like, man, like I haven't met a, a compliance person who is not overworked, who doesn't have 20 things on their list, who doesn't yes. have, you know, you can always extinguish more risk because you're never going to be totally de-risked, right? Um, and I, what I find is that a lot of them are you know, I got to just get this policy done. I just have to get this out. Yeah. How do we, like, what would you tell somebody who's in that side <clears throat> or in that kind of mentality um, to convince them that over the long run, if in fact this is true, over the long run, spending a little bit more of that time up front with some intentionality or some design incorporation into the project is actually going to lead to more kind of efficiency down the road? Yeah, and that's a great question. I, I would never want people to spend more time, um, but with with a time constraint, you can actually use that to become more creative and to do things. You have a toolbox of really inexpensive things that are not time consuming at all with design. So um, the way you can just, you write a policy, you can simply just use bold face, space it out, don't put everything in a, like a block, uh, just, yeah. You know, make sure people, you know, have someone add maybe um, add it online or in an intranet just so people can just, you know, click on it and access it. Um, put in a Google search box, which you can um, do really quickly, or just make sure you can control F to search for words. You know, right. all these things are, um, you can uh, do that really quickly. It doesn't, it will not take more time than usual. Um, at all, really. So the constraint um, can create solutions as well. You don't need a lot of time to create design. If you think of it as a, one big experience for a variety of different protagonists, almost like a story, you, yeah. you know, you're telling a story in your audits, how you present that to the institution, you're telling a story to people, to um, to please comply and to accept the compliance uh, requirements. Um, and you're sort of combining that with the mission of the institution and the culture that you would like to see. And like you said, there's, um, there is the second reason I, I realized this all fit together was, um, I was, I was advising an institutional review board. They review the ethics and science of uh, research before it goes forward to test on humans. And, um, after the meeting, a psychologist approached me and he said he was aware that I was assigned to rewrite their compliance um, policies and procedures. And uh, he told me, you know, there are books on um, the psychology of writing a checklist or, or um, writing, writing a document where people, um, the way that their eyes moved across the page or um, to get them more engaged. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that 
type of research um, has has been also used with uh, um, social media applications. Yep. So it's um, it doesn't it doesn't have to be time consuming. It really doesn't. It's just a small um, small concepts that you can adopt and use. Yeah, and I think kind of kind of to to your point, or just to kind of like say it say it differently. Our job is not to write policies. Our job is to help people exhibit the right behaviors. So there's an information transfer. To your point, it's that last mile. It's the words coming off the page yes. and into their brain. Yes. That's where our focus needs to be, not just on, hey, I PDF this thing, check it off the box, it's done. I think if yeah. we don't extend our the scope of our influence or the scope of our projects beyond sort of that end project of just, okay, this document is complete and saved. Um, if we don't extend it to the behavioral impact of it, then we not only leave a bunch of like value on the table, we also yeah. kind of like clip our own wings in terms of turning the light bulbs on at the top of the organization about not 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 just the need for compliance. I don't think that's really a big a big debate, especially in like regulated in industries, mm -hmm. but of the value that compliance can actually provide on a strategic level by clearing out some of the chaos and providing that right guidance for those behaviors that we as an organization want in pursuit of our mission, you know? Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's um, so, and you pointed out a lot of different, uh, their um, organizational goals and um, personal goals, maybe that the, you know, um, related to their career as well. So it fulfills a lot of different aspects. Um, now the, a lot of uh, jobs are evaluated. Part of the evaluation is compliance with requirements. So it could also be viewed as, um, if you think of them as, as kind of having a story, it could be viewed as part of their success in uh, achieving the next level in their job or career or receiving a positive um, review. So, you know, if you just sort of think about that as you're designing the experience for everybody, um, I think people will automatically do things that make sense, uh, you know, and you can also base it, I, I base it, we talked about this before, but we, I base it on a lot of interviews, one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews. And if it's a very large group of people, I'll do a sample of interviews and make composites like we did in our last presentation uh -huh. and try to just think about the most extreme users, the most extreme people that would be using um, the, the products basically or the compliance materials. And um, through so that- balance yeah. that? I mean, because everyone's different. Everyone's personality is different. You know, to your point, we're going to meet everyone where they're at. Everyone's standing in their own spot. No one's standing. They are. In they are. It's true. It's true. So how do you not get caught up in um, the, you know, the fact that everyone's their own unique snowflake? How do you boil those down into sort of archetypes? Or like what frameworks do you do you use for that, that kind of a thing? I think I, there I, I'm quite, uh, I try to actually use real research where I, 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 I base it on actual facts. So I go into the audit, I audit very carefully, I'll monitor and I'll really see where the issues are. And then um, you, you could interview people from those particular issues where the really large issues are forming mm -hmm. and, um, and try to get to the, to the real issue, I guess, to the real problem. Um, but you're right, it's, that's why I think I try to go with the most 
sort of outrageous use of the compliance products or the most egregious possible type of compliance violation. And then that seems to capture um, everyone in a way. Yeah. You know, if you really go with, um, say, someone who absolutely refuses to comply, okay, um, in that example, you can you can use uh, technology to maybe build in uh, edits into the system where they can't do certain things. You know, you can think about your um, without really computer programming, but you can you can um, you can still make certain changes to your systems where people can't influence things that much if they really. For example, um, I saw a a, um, a university in Colorado. Um, patients can now see who accesses their medical records. So they have a record of that. So they can, they actually can monitor themselves if there's been an irregular access, um, access of information, yeah, which is brilliant because then the organization um, can, it's provides, it provides a lot of um, clarity to the patient and uh, peace of mind, but they can also sort of assess if the right people are, are accessing their records. Right. So um, let's go through. So let's say, so let's say, <clears throat> let's say I'm your boss and you come to me and you're tasked with redoing these policies and you're presenting your plan for me on how these are going to be rewritten. Um, <clears throat> and I say, this seems like a crazy plan. You're going to take nine months or six months or three months and interview 50 people. Like these people have jobs to do. We just need to get these policies done. Can you not just make a PDF of this stuff and we can send it around? What would you say to convince me that, hey, these extra steps are actually worthwhile and actually necessary to achieve the goal that you might not even know that you actually have? Yeah, um, it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't take that long. <laughs> it, would, it, wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't take that long. But, and you're right, they, there is a cost uh, of uh, interviewing people you know, during their work hours. So that's a great point. Um, I think um, with policies and procedures, just to at least to interview a sample of people, and that could happen over a week, um, just to see what exactly they're doing, exactly how their work is happening. If I write procedures and people are doing something completely different, they won't make sense and uh, they won't follow them. And uh, it's not it's not at all effective and it doesn't comply with the requirements of um, the federal agencies. They wanna see people actually using the procedures and procedures that people can actually do. So it's not, um, I can't take the procedures I've written for another institutions and just apply them. I have to, you know, what, what are their processes? Do they, um, what programs are they using? Um, but it doesn't take a long time at all um, just to map it out and uh, then from there I can, uh, policies and procedures are really very collaborative. Um, you know, at least if there could, if, if not to talk to everyone, but at least just one point of contact who knows maybe everyone's process or what they should be doing um, because I can't dictate the process. You know, it's, right. um, that would be, uh, uh, it would be counter, Intuitive, I guess it'd be, it'd be against really the the effectiveness of the policy. So. Okay, well, you're very persuasive. <laughs> Go ahead and do whatever you want. How's that? <laughs> it really doesn't take a long time because um, I've the the biggest yeah, especially with policies and that's not all I do, but especially with that, you really do have it's a really collaborative process. 
where you're capturing something abstract and then putting it on paper yeah, or yeah yeah it's just amazing how many people don't do that collaboration or don't even do some semblance of the level of collaboration that you're talking about they just kind of blindly push these things out without a lot of I'm not saying everybody of course but yeah, they push yeah. them out without that consideration and no wonder compliance has the reputation that it has in many organizations of the cop the office of no all those kind kinds of things I think your approach, not only is it more effective in terms of that end product, but there's a sort of a second degree communication that comes along with it. Yeah. And it's a consideration and empathy. And I want to make sure that I'm being an asset to you. I'm not going to, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to make you swim slower. I'm trying to make you swim faster, you know? Yeah. And it really doesn't. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Because you either um, spend a little bit of time at the front end or you develop policies that really trip people up and procedures that where everything slows down and grinds to a halt and um, no one knows why. And then you have to, redo them or um yeah. you know they're always iterations but it's i feel like it really saves a lot of time to just just really quickly it doesn't have to take a lot of time to um, yeah that's a big point i think that you've said a couple of times here and i agree with you this is not like a linear thing um it's really a more of a parabolic shaped line with respect to the amount of time you spend and the uh impact that you have with it you know you don't have to spend you know in my stupid in my stupid example nine months building, no. building policies but you can take a little no. bit of time front end to be intentional about well how's yeah. this information laid out i can go through a couple of like you know psychology blogs to you know at least get some cursory understanding of how some of that research that you alluded to earlier kind yeah. of plays out and what kind of considerations should i make um, and I think in doing that it starts to create this framework that I've kind of been put onto recently where in any project that we do, I think we want to have a downward sloping line on this graph I'm about to describe. So if the x-axis is, you know, time and the vertical axis or the y-axis is uh, like pain or hassle or trouble, we want a downward sloping line there. So we, we want to pull forward that effort so that once the policy in this example is rolled out, it's smooth sailing. If you yeah. forego that extra effort on the front end to try to get it done quickly, you often have an upward sloping line as you roll this thing out. And then department X is like, well, this doesn't work with our process. I got to change my whole process. And then department Y has, you know, kind of an, an opposite problem. And then now you really have egg on your face. And now, you know, the next item on your list, you're not even going to be able to get to because the first item that you thought was done isn't done. So that little bit of effort on the front end really creates tons of leverage on the back end and allows for a more iter iterative process that, you know, again, can expand the impact and, and elevate the strategic role of this function over the longer term, I think. Exactly. And also um, you, I, at least I think of the way I approach it. I think, um, you know, what kind of, before I begin a project, you, you have assets, you know, you, what assets do you have? So you, um, you know already something about the project and um, you can obtain, uh, maybe they, you know, you can obtain this information quickly. It doesn't have to take a long time at all. And it, it's possible that they'll operate off the policy, off the procedures if you don't create procedures that even blend well with your organization. So Great it doesn't, point. it won't make any sense in the end. And It'll probably yeah, be more it, expensive, really, too. It's going to be more expensive, and it's yeah. going to... And productivity will fall, if you... Exactly, and the efficacy of the whole thing is diminished, because what's the point of having these policies if it's not actually influencing any behavior? I mean, that's yeah. that's the game we're playing. We're not just exactly. putting a bunch of words on the page, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, um, and uh, um, that's, yeah, that's, I think of what kind of experience do I want to create, also with my presence, so... 
I, I don't want to create an experience where everyone will be like, wow, these procedures are horrible. We we're slowing down. They, she doesn't know because she's not doing our job. You know, um, he doesn't get it. Doesn't get it. So I don't, that's not the experience at all. I want to create at all from my very start in this, in my, uh, as in compliance, as a compliance professional, I never wanted to create something where it would make everybody's job more difficult. Big and point there, Andra, like that's such a big point. It, you know, again, we're, you're extending the scope of, you know, in this individual project we're using in this example, beyond just putting the words on the page to the experience that the person is going to have with this policy, but you've also added a whole nother dimension to your, you know, role in this broader story. Well, how are you viewing me? What's your experience with me? Exactly. And that, again, bringing that design mentality, that end goal experience uh, mentality to yeah. how you just comport yourself does yeah. so much to make you more effective, make people understand that, okay, this person is not against me. This department is not, not against me. They're yeah. trying to do their job as I'm doing my job. We can work together. It just allows for like better collaboration. You know what I'm saying? Because there's, exactly. it's a, it's on a foundation of, of empathy and consideration for the other person on the other end of the conversation. Exactly. And I really, truly, when I first started that, um, and I've, I've sort of worked with the same people for most of, almost all my career and I before I started I was thinking you know I just don't want to do anything to make anyone uh upset with my work or you know so I and that included the clients and you know I that was sort of my um like the day I started I was like okay I I, I don't want to make things harder for anybody anyone including my coworkers, including um the clients including the government so I I that's sort of just the approach I took. Um, there is, I, there is though, uh, there has to be a, um, a lot of time reading the laws and the regulations and time sort of just spent alone analyzing that, but that's sort of just the first step. And then it, when you share it with other people, then you're more like a teacher and then you listen to their concerns or their feedback. Right. So, yeah, and, and they could and say, I kinda, yeah. I kind of think of it as like a translator. You know, if you want to be a yes, yes, Portuguese translator, great. you need to learn Portuguese first. And That's then once question. you learn it, then you can yeah. communicate with a child on their level, yes. or you can communicate yes. with a teenager at their level, or an adult, yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. But to your point, yeah. you can't sort of replace the sort of homework, so to speak, with just a bunch of design mentality. No, you know, not at all. So I don't. Yeah. You need both pieces, 100%. Yes. Yeah. So I don't want to give the impression that I that you can just uh, make a beautiful graph or beautiful yeah. policy and without the actual uh, substance, because that that is a lot of hard work also. That's sort of just alone work where you're just, uh, you know, figuring out things and um, each institution may have something in particular they want to do or achieve. So you have to try to find solutions. It's really such an interesting role. I mean, I know I, that's what the whole freaking podcast is about all the time. But it's such <laughs> yeah. a, a nexus of like all this stuff that's important to an organization. You know, we need to account for their strategy. We need to account for their culture. We need to account yes. for the operations and, yeah. you know, tasks being done in these different departments and how those interplay with each other. We need to account for obviously the regulations so that we don't yeah. you know, trip something. And, and the financials. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, do we need uh, a new building just for this? And you could, you Good could just do, um, do some interviews and figure out will that even solve the problem it's aiming to solve? And maybe there's another way. And uh, so the, 
it impacts the financials as well and decision making. Um, um, you know, the thing I've been struck with as we've been talking um, is that, you know, you're such a great example of someone who took these two disparate sort of fields of study or schools of thought and been able to combine them in your main profession to add some nice innovation and, you know, really ramp up effectiveness in the things that you touch and, you know, work on. Um, and I think I'd like you to respond to this, but I think we all probably have a bunch of, you know, anybody who's in compliance, they have other facets to their life. They have other interests, they have other things yes. that they did, whether it was sports or whether it's art or, you know, yeah. crafts or whatever, hobbies, all those other things. And what I find kind of interesting is that when we can melt those walls a little bit in our own minds between this thing that I'm interested in and this thing that I work on, many times there's principles that we can bring over and we can complement and we can increase our efficacy by incorporating some of these, these things that are part and parcel to other schools of thought. I mean, you know, it's kind of what we've been talking about, but there's, there's so many things that you can incorporate and borrow from to make yourself more effective in your role. And I think the worst thing we as compliance professionals can do is, especially if we're trying to elevate to where I think we can and should elevate over the next decade, is kind of, you know, uh, believe what is said about us or, you know, act as a sort of a two-dimensional character in the, uh, on the canvas of, of the company. You know what I'm saying? If we can round that out and add some humanity and also add some more uh, efficiency, I think we can very quickly begin to affect this sort of branding problem that people in the compliance game talk about. Yes, and I see you do that in your own work, um, in the way that you lead your company. Um, you incorporate a lot of uh, different, really different topics, different ideas from a lot of different areas. And you're right, I'm not, I'm not unique in the sense that um, I think, you know, compliance professionals are still people, so they have families or and other interests. So um, it's it's sort of just a story to call to call compliance people two dimensional. It's it's sort of a myth. It um, is a myth. Yeah. So, and you're right. I think one of the a piece of advice I received was to walk around um, every day if I, or to at least contact people um, every day if I'm on a project. Um, and that way you create a sense that you're um, accessible. So you're not in, in an office, inaccessible. And um, it's, it's a very similar idea where you're, you're presenting an antidote to this story that we're sort of robotic, we only, um, look at the words, um, very rigid understanding, don't understand business, you know, but don't understand the way it should apply to operations. Right. Um, so, but that's, you know, that, um, you know, that doesn't have to be true at all. No, it so, doesn't have, have to be true. And I think the worst thing we can do is to say, oh, well, I have a seat at the kitty table. I'm a cost center. I have to just focus on you know, keeping the company out of trouble. It's obviously way, right. way, way beyond that. And then we end up kind of declawing ourselves. Ourselves. Right. Um, I saw this thing, I don't know. Um, but like when, when there's a baby elephant that's in captivity, they'll like, they'll pound a stake into the ground and they'll put it on like a little rope around its neck, right? And so when it's a baby, it can't rip that stake out of the ground, right? Well, as this thing grows into an adult and it's 10 times as big, they don't ever have to change that stake in the ground because the elephant just thinks, well, I can't move this stake. Obviously it could rip the freaking thing out of the ground if it sneezed or something, right? So I see the same thing kind of happening at some level in some compliance organizations where 
they've got that stake in the ground, they think they can't move. And what the point I'm trying to get at, and I think you illustrated it beautifully over our talk today, is that like, it's on us to rip that stake out of the ground. It's on us to incorporate some other things to increase our, our effectiveness and increase our strategic impact in the organization. It's gonna take us ripping that stake out of the ground. It's not gonna be the zookeeper coming over and ripping it up for us, right? It's gonna be us making that elevation. And you you really talked about a lot of, I think kind of simple things that you can do both on the first degree of communication, whether it's the actual policy, the actual thing that, that, that we're talking about, but more importantly, I think on that second degree of communication, which is what role am I playing in the organization? How am I interacting with the, with the other you know, departments that I need to, whose behavior I need to influence? And how has my thoughtfulness in the, you know, the execution of this thing been on display for those people above to see, wow, this, you know, this person kind of gets it. Um, when you look at compliance, where, where, we're at, where, we're, where we are now, and if you can close your eyes and uh, you know, do some astral projection or something, tell us what the future looks like. In 2030, what do you think, how do you think compliance as a general function has changed in our economy? Yeah, I think there will be more focus on technology and utilizing uh, technology to monitor, audit, and also um, really provide an incredible amount of metrics that we're not even beginning to grasp yet. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it will still be, um, I also wanted to emphasize, it'll still be important to understand the operations. So I've, I haven't just worked in compliance. I, I tried as much as possible to actually work in operations because I, I felt like since the beginning of my career, I, I wasn't in operations and actual billing and coding and it would feel very um, wrong to me to kind of not not really be in the trenches um yeah. you know so it, you can't just be in kind of this ivory tower um reading books so i think it'll be technology but combined with you you still have to kind of put in your time really to to learn operations and i mean at the ground level so um just to it's 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 very hard i think to create compliance programs without really knowing the ground level things or or how to um even just the very menial things really so um i think it'll be a combination of very hands-on and and also very high level technology yeah um let me ask you this then so um let's say somebody is at an organization right now and everything you're saying is just resonating with them they're like absolutely we need to be more effective um we need to have that that kind of design eye influencing our projects and you know our output from our function but they seem kind of stuck at that kitty table like uh, they can't get those light bulbs turned on on at the top they can't get their ceo to provide more resources or they can't get the cfo to increase their budget or whatever what advice would you give them to help accelerate that elevation or accelerate the turning on of those light bulbs that will allow them to get the resources they need to really multiply their effectiveness yeah, you might not, they might not need uh, financial resources. It could just be um, as simple as really identifying their biggest risk areas and identifying why, why something just isn't working, why it's not getting through to people. And then maybe even just bringing that or bringing an example in the news of another organization that 
faced a large penalty or a large fine or reputation damage. So it could be as small as that, but um, really focusing on the highest risk areas and then trying to see what you can do based on that. Maybe they can just create some interesting education. You know, it doesn't have to be um, a, a massive shift or a change. Right. It could just be just wherever you can start, start. So usually the best place would be the highest risk areas. So, um, and you can change, maybe, maybe there's something in your program at work that you can alter and it's free. You know, you can just right. turn something off or turn off a feature or turn on a feature or um, do it that way. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to cost anything. Just, just sort of thinking about it really. Yeah. Just thinking about it. I mean, that's, that's a great point. Just thinking about it and just doing something is going to yeah. give you some kind of leverage that you're not experiencing right now. And I think most things in life kind of are subject to the law of diminishing returns, right? Which means the more of something I do, the less sort of benefit I get from it, right? Your first cookie is not uh, as good as your 12th cookie, unless you're just like cookie monster or something. So um, the point being that if each, each subsequent step gets less of a benefit, well then the most benefit that you're gonna get from any step are gonna be from those first steps. So take those first steps and just get something you know what I'm saying? It's kind of this, it's kind of this picture of like, if it takes a thousand hours to become like a true expert, you can probably get 80 or 90% of the way there in a in hundred hours. Just do, just do something, you know? Um, I love this approach because to your point, it's easy to incorporate. It doesn't cost a lot. And it's just really a mentality shift and an extension or kind of an added dimension to what our, what our mandate is mm -hmm. um, beyond just kind of checking the box, so to speak, but really focusing on effectiveness and behavior. And that really, it's just such a, it's just such a simple thing to start incorporating it in our thinking. And it really lends itself to really everything, whether it's again, talking to, you know, doing an interview for the policy or even talking to the CEO, what's, what experience do I want them to have as a result of this conversation where I'm trying to influence or persuade them to give me more endorsement courses, whatever. Yeah. Or it could, I mean, and also not to neglect, it could be the process itself. It could be something abstract. You know, oh, okay. Could, good point. Um, yeah. Good point. Be, uh, it could be maybe the, the way the reporting structure is, maybe the compliance officer doesn't have autonomy. You know, it, it could be something like that where there's just a misunderstanding and it's, um, it could be something abstract that's the problem. So it doesn't, it isn't always something, it really doesn't have to cost anything. It could just be, well, we're, we're, we're not allowed to report past, past our department. Why is that? Oh, the compliance officer is part of operations and that shouldn't be, that should be separated. You know, so it. it could be very simple. Um, and I I have a website that I created, it's just free. There's some ideas there. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I I, it's a freaking awesome. You put a lot of design elements in the website itself. So it seems like you do that with everything, Andre. No, no, I imagined it like, a, um, like they're the protagonist and they're on this journey. And I sort of uh, added my photography into the website as well. And yeah, and what is that that website? We'll put it in, in the notes, but what is it right now? It's just called designandcompliance.com. <laughs> but it's it's sort of a little class people can take. And you know, if they could just pick, they could just pick whatever one they want to do and then work on that. So it's it sort of divides everything according to the elements of an effective compliance program. And um, they just can choose one one every month or something like that, or whatever they have time for it doesn't yeah it's a great site it's great information your writing is um 
really amazing and very thoughtful. And uh, I've just learned a lot. I, mean, I obviously haven't been through all of them, but the couple that I've, that I've looked at and read, I've just really loved a lot. So 